these first weeks of reading these Old Testament stories in the narrative lectionary, uh, we might want to change our post-reading response. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to borrow a a phrase from last week's sermon. Maybe we should do, instead of this is the word of the Lord, uh, maybe we should do, this is another story where we find our creator working with the complexities of human life. Thanks be to God. As Jeremy said last week, these scriptures assure us of God's goodness, of God's good design for creation. But these scriptures do not flinch, as they graphically tell us of the heinous mess and sorrow we call the human condition. So we're making a big leap from Genesis 2. We're going from the cosmic wild winds of creation, uh, from the universal to the individual, from all the galaxies and those far out spaces. Now we're locating ourselves in a time and place. The creator now becomes the revealer. And we focus on one family, Abraham and Sarah, They're carrying the promise, the future of humankind, the future of God's blessings for all the nations. They're carrying it in their hearts, on their shoulders. God said, I will give you and Sarah a son. I will bless Sarah. She shall give rise to nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And your son Isaac... I will establish my covenant with him, an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. So that's a lot of God's future and promises hanging on one family, isn't it? And now we imagine Abraham. If the numbers are lining up, he's probably in his hundreds, maybe even 120 And then imagine Isaac, this strapping, tall, 20-year-old. Any 20-year-olds in the house? Or close therein? Or think of yourself as that strapping 20-year-old person. The vibrancy, the, the power. God tells Abraham to go to Mount Moriah. And it's a test an incredulous one, a three-day trek in the desert, lots of time for Abraham to ponder, to stare into the starry skies at night, and maybe ask, what are you up to, God? It seems like there's a lot at stake here. What could possibly become of this chilling, strange expedition I am on? And then on the final leg of the journey, it's just Isaac and Abraham. And they're doing this three-hour day hike. And Isaac, the 20-year-old, is old enough to know and to ask the tough question. Father, here I am, my son. I'm carrying the wood. You have the fire. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. 
Okay, sure. But now the story gets even more strange and and more complex. They reach their God-ordained destination. Abraham builds an altar. He lays the wood in order and then binds his son Isaac and lays him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reaches out his hand and takes his knife. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> As I was reading this again this week, I, 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 I went back to that uh, Princess and the Bride, uh, Princess Bride movie, 1987, where uh, the grandfather, who's acted by Peter Falk, is, is reading to his young grandson. Do you remember that scene? The scene about the the shrieking eels. And the grandfather uh, stops reading and he says, she doesn't get eaten by the eels at this time. What? The eel doesn't get her. I'm explaining to you because you look nervous. (laughs) I I wasn't nervous. Maybe I was a little bit concerned. But that's not the same thing. Because we can stop now if you want. No, you could read a little bit more if you want. So, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, do you want to keep on going? It's grisly. Abraham takes the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord calls to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And maybe you can imagine the knife clattering to the ground. Abraham simply replies, here I am. And depending on how many years you've been going to church and hearing that story, I would imagine that you've been shaped by that story for for ill or for good. My upbringing always seemed to have that Well, sometimes God's got to do what God's got to (laughs) do, perspective. I don't know if that was your teaching or, or gleanings as you've heard this story. But I'm so grateful for preachers and teachers and writers and theologians who instead have said and admitted that this is a horrifying story. But it's a part of our Hebrew Christian story. And so we, along with centuries of God followers who have gone before us and tried to make sense of it, we continue this day to try to find some consolation or some wisdom from these stories. And we try to find ways to live out of this story, where we follow God who, according to these scriptures and our scriptures, is a God unlike other gods. And as I quoted earlier from Jeremy's sermon last week, these stories of our faith do not flinch. As they graphically tell of the mess and the sorrow that we call the human condition. So we're not going to skip the story. We're hanging with the story. We're not trying to do Bible interpretation backflips to make it neat and tidy. Because our lives are messy. Our lives are complex, and having a God who lives with us in the mess and complexities of life 
with these stories and these scriptures, this ought to be good news for us. So we wrestle with the why, and and we don't have lots of easy answers about the why. Why would God put Abraham to this test? It just seems to be too much of a test. And it seems to be uncharacteristic of this God who last week we were talking about is the God of life. And this week we're going to say he's the God who commands death. There's lots of why questions that we can't easily answer. And, and so I'm not going to try to preach my way out of the, 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 the why question. Uh, but uh, we ministry staff are happy to, to meet with you and talk with you more about this complex story in the days and weeks ahead. Right, ministry staff? <laughs> You're with me on this, right? <laughs> no, seriously. Like, we, will, we will walk with you through any messy part of Scripture. And in fact, you should be calling us all the time if you're reading your Bible saying, what? This says this? What? That God's like that? But today I want to preach about God's providence. And I think the two greatest hits uh, phrases of this scripture are, firstly, when Abraham proclaims, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And then secondly, Abraham looks up. He sees a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. Abraham takes the ram, offers it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Abraham's providing God provides a way when there seems to be no way. This providing God offers a vision of a future that summons Abraham and us to a world that is beyond that world that is immediately in front of us. So as we live out of this story in the coming week, how might we discern and see and receive from this providing God? When the world around us shapes us to simply accept life just as it is. What is God calling us to see, discern, and receive? In Abraham's era, in the ancient Near East, 2000 BCE, the common view or theological view of the day was that gods would have gladly received child offerings. And Abraham and Sarah, they might have even had neighbors who who had offered their firstborn child to the gods so that they might garner attention or appease the god or find favor with their god. So it's not that far-fetched for Abraham, though he was learning firsthand that his relationship with God was different, but he still might have had a fleeting thought that maybe every once in a while, God, even this God, needs to to have that show me that you're really, 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 really serious and devoted to me kind of offering. Something that shows that I'm all in, God. I'm giving you my biggest and most sincere act of worship. And maybe if we ponder our spiritual journeys, 
Christian cultures or church cultures that we've been a part of or mission trips or study groups or uh, Christian conferences that we've gone to. Have you ever been tempted or urged to do that spectacular thing that would finally, once and for all, prove that you are really, 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 really committed to God? No matter what the cost, no matter what your friends are saying, no what your family's doing, this is your chance. Sign the card. Or, or throw your stick in the campfire. Walk to the front of the auditorium. You can finally prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that you'll do whatever it takes. That you'll climb the highest mountain, that you'll lay your hopes and dreams and values and your very future on God's holy hill. Have you ever been there? Have you ever done that? And how did it work out for you? Because the good news of today's story is that God's great promise in this story is God's great providence. God does not want yours or my spectacular proofs or efforts or sacrifice. Instead, God cries out to us, Abraham or Ryan, Sarah, don't do it. Look up. God says, I will provide. And so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Because on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Moriah. So friends in Christ, community of faith, those who travel with us through these God stories, maybe God is inviting us not to the spectacular proof of devotion, but God is beckoning us to simply come. Be with God as you are in this moment. Receive God's love, that never-ending, unstoppable, everlasting, world-upending love. And today and forevermore, God will continue to provide. God will provide grace and goodness, the Spirit's empowering, abiding presence. And so can we breathe? Can we be still? Right from the beginning of the service, that introit from the choral voices, be, be still. Even when we do not see the road ahead of us, even when we cannot know for certain how or where it will end, God will provide.